In St. Paul's second letter to Bishop Timothy, from which we read today, the apostle wrote that God saved us and called us to a holy life, not according to our works, but according to his own design and the grace bestowed on us in Christ Jesus before time began. But since Jesus of Nazareth was born in Bethlehem only 2,000 years ago, how could God possibly have bestowed grace on the human race in Christ before time began, meaning before the universe was created? Well, that is possible because while the Lord Jesus is the son of Mary and was born in time, he is also God the Son, the eternal and omnipotent word by whom all things were made. And on the day of Christ's transfiguration, Peter, James, and John glimpsed the radiance of uncreated light shining not on the Lord Jesus, but shining from out of him in a momentary revelation of the glory of his divine nature. Decades after that event, Paul explained to Timothy that God the Father's eternal plan of salvation has been made manifest through the appearance of our Savior Christ Jesus, who destroyed death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And the Lord Jesus accomplished our deliverance from sin and the grave by his own suffering, death, and resurrection. That is the Paschal mystery, and it was the consummation of Christ's messianic mission, the Passover for which he was prepared by the consoling conversation of Moses and Elijah. Scripture does not say, but an ancient tradition holds that the transfiguration of the Lord occurred, occurred, occurred 40 days before his death on the cross, and the blinding radiance of uncreated light which shone out of him was accompanied by the Shekinah, the glory cloud that once filled the tabernacle and then the temple as the sign of God's presence. Then in the bright cloud spoke the same voice of God the Father who spoke over the waters of the Jordan on the day of Christ's baptism. This is my beloved Son in, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Being in the presence of the transfigured Lord, along with Moses and Elijah, first filled the three apostles with delight. And so Peter wanted to stay, saying, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Such delight is often what we feel when we encounter the divine presence, a numinous sense of transcendence which lifts the heart and mind to the unbounded goodness, truth, and beauty of God. But then, when we become aware of our sins and mindful of what our redemption required, such delight is usually replaced, or at least joined, by reverential fear, as it was for the Hebrews at Mount Sinai and as it was for Peter, James, and John at Mount Tabor, who threw themselves on the ground only to have the Lord Jesus lift them up and say, Rise, be not afraid. Friends, during the 40 days of Lent, we are called to conform our lives to the mystery of the Lord's cross. And one of the essential ways to do this is to confess our sins in the sacrament of penance, 
and be forgiven by God through the ministry of his church. The Lord Jesus gave us the sacrament of penance on Easter Sunday in the same upper room where three days before he celebrated his last supper and transformed the Passover of Israel into the Eucharist of the church, thus showing us the profound connection between going to confession and receiving Holy Communion. But why did Christ choose our going to confession as the ordinary means of being reconciled to God when we sin after baptism? Well, since he designed and made us, we should understand that this sacrament is tailor-made for us, a bespoke means of grace perfectly suited to our fallen human nature, which requires us to allocute to our sins before being restored to baptismal innocence. The intimate connection between going to confession and sharing in the Lord's Supper is an essential part of Christian faith and life, and we cannot remain in full communion with Christ and his church unless we go to confession whenever it is needed because of mortal sin and at least once each year as part of our Easter duty. This experience can often include both fear and delight of the sort felt by the apostles at the Transfiguration. But at the heart of this divine encounter is always Christ the Lord who says to us, Rise, be not afraid. When approaching the sacrament of penance, two common errors should be avoided, and they are presumption and scrupulosity. Presumption causes us to go to confession too seldom or without genuine contrition, and scrupulosity leads us to go too often and with neurotic fear that can lead to despair. Presumption comes from an arrogant sense of entitlement or a false security that since I haven't murdered anyone or robbed a bank, I'm fine. And scrupulosity comes from an exaggerated sense of my sins that makes them seem far worse than they are and leaves me in constant anxiety about the state of my salvation. The Latin scrupulous means a small sharp stone like a pebble trapped in my shoe. Scrupulosity makes a pebble feel like a boulder under my foot when in fact it is just a grain of sand. Bless me, Father, for I have sinned. My last confession was 30 years ago and I have tried to live a good life. That is presumption. Bless me, Father, my last confession was six days ago and I have been distracted in prayer, uncharitable in thought, and burdened by lust. That is scrupulosity. Both of these approaches to the sacrament of penance are a deformation of the interior life and should be avoided by anyone who wants to follow the Lord Jesus as a mature disciple and beloved friend. Over the centuries, the celebration of the sacrament of penance has been shaped as much by piety as by the church's doctrine. And just like fashions, pieties change. For example, a century ago, Padre Pio advised people to go to confession once each week. But that has never been a requirement or even a recommendation of the church's teaching. And remember that Padre Pio also refused to hear the confession of any woman whose skirt was not at least several inches below the knee. In other words, Understanding the sacrament of penance in the light of Holy Scripture and the apostolic tradition, rather than simply from popular piety, is essential 
to finding its proper place in the sacramental economy of grace and our own following of Christ. And speaking of grace, there is another danger to be avoided in the way we understand God's free and unmerited favor. If the sacraments are means of grace, and I receive more sacraments, then don't I have more grace? No. That way of thinking reduces grace to a commodity, like coins to be collected and counted. And for this reason, even the habit of speaking of graces in the plural rather than simply of grace should be avoided. Holy Scripture speaks of the gifts of God, or charismata in Greek, but they are different in character from the grace of God, or charis, which is his loving kindness freely given to us even in our sins. Yes, we speak conceptually of different kinds of grace, like prevenient grace, actual grace, and sanctifying grace. But try using the word love in place of the word grace to see why it is a mistake to use the plural of grace in describing my relationship with God. The seven sacraments are instruments of grace that unite us by faith, hope, and love to the Lord Jesus. But the depth of that union is measured by quality, not quantity. Going to confession more frequently than I need to simply to multiply graces is not the proper use of the sacrament of penance and can be spiritually harmful. My own experience as both a confessor and a penitent suggests that most people should probably go to confession between six and 12 times a year as needed, though your mileage may vary. Sin is our disease, and grace is the medicine that cures it. But even the right medicine must be administered in the proper dosage. And the medicine of mercy is given to us in four of the seven sacraments. Baptism is the first sacrament of forgiveness, and through holy baptism we are born again by water and the Holy Spirit with all our sins forgiven. Then, after baptism, three other sacraments are for the forgiveness of sins, anointing of the sick, penance, and most importantly, the Holy Eucharist itself. Every Mass begins with a penitential rite in which we acknowledge our sins and ask for the Lord's mercy, and worthily participating in Mass is for the forgiveness of all venial sins. Only when we have committed truly deadly sin are we required to go to confession before going to Holy Communion. And for any sin to be mortal, three equally important conditions must be fulfilled. First, the offending thought, word, or deed must be gravely wrong. Second, I must know that it is gravely wrong. And third, I must freely and intentionally choose to do it anyway. Even a sin that is gravely wrong may not be a mortal sin for a given person, either because of ignorance or because of a lack of interior freedom which can come as the result of force, fear, or compulsion from addiction or from an habitual sin that restricts interior liberty and therefore diminishes culpability. Of course, there is no way to reach mathematical certitude about such matters, which is why it is better when in doubt to err on the side of caution and go to confession, although never because of scrupulosity. And if there is a question about the proper frequency of confession, 
then we should heed our confessor's guidance to find the right balance in approaching the sacrament of penance. To prepare to make a good confession, we should use a reliable examination of conscience, which guides us through a review of our lives, usually by considering the Ten Commandments or the Eight Beatitudes as a rule to measure how well we are following the Lord Jesus in the way of the cross. There are many forms of the examination of conscience available online and in prayer books, and we should use one of these each time we are preparing to go to confession. Then with faith, hope, and love, we simply and humbly confess our sins to God through the priest, accept a penance as a sign of conversion, ask for mercy with an act of contrition, and receive absolution, the washing away of our sins by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And whether each confession brings fear, delight, or a mixture of both, we always meet Christ in the sacrament and hear him say, Rise, be not afraid. Friends, it is Lent, and with the Lord Jesus we are on the road to Jerusalem and the paschal mystery of his suffering, death, and resurrection. God saved us and called us to a holy life, not according to our works, but according to his own design, and the grace bestowed on us before time began in Christ Jesus, who destroyed death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. That is both why we should go to confession regularly and how we bear our share of hardship for the gospel with the strength that comes from God, strength given to us in the only Savior of the entire human race, the Lord Jesus Christ, 